So be turning in your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 5. The book of 2 Kings, chapter number 5. We're studying through the life of Elisha. The life of Elisha. I just couldn't leave this part out. Sometimes it's an easy one to just skip over and move over to the next miracle. But I could not leave this text out. There's some things that you can do and God will forgive them. Maybe many times he'll forgive them. There's some things that you can do that are abhorrent to God and he still will forgive you when you ask forgiveness and cleanse you. But I believe that there comes a time if a person does not repent and if a person does not get right with God, saved or lost, there comes a time in their life that they become so callous they cannot get saved are so calloused they cannot ever walk with God again. Those two things. So tonight I want to talk to you on this subject, the castaway. The castaway. Look at verse number 20, chapter number 5. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian and not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Now, you remember the background to that verse. Naaman, that little servant girl, had been taken down to be Naaman's wife's servant. And she said, she kept telling her, she said, if you would just get your husband down to see my preacher, that great prophet, if you'd just get him to go down there, he'd have the answer for this leprosy that's in his body. And finally, he, the little girl's word, that witness, that testimony that that little maid girl had got to the ears of Naaman and he went to see Elisha. Remember the story? Elisha wouldn't even come out and talk to him. He just said, here's what you go out and tell him to do. You tell him to go down into the River Jordan and you tell him to dip seven times. And when he dips seven times, he shall be cleansed. Well, Naaman got ticked off about that. He said, I'm a great, I'm a great general. I'm a, I'm a great uh, army leader. I'm a great man in our, in our country. And, and, and surely he would not ask me to go to the dirty Jordan River and wash there. We have better rivers than that in our country. There's, there's far, far and, and all those other rivers there that's far cleaner than this. And so finally... He just said, I'm just going to go back home. But before he could, his servant said, listen, nothing else has helped. No advice anybody else ever give you worked. So why don't you just do what God says? And so Naaman turned around, and he walked down into that muddy river Jordan and dipped himself seven times and came forth clean. Well, he was so excited about it that he goes back and he offers Elisha some gifts. He said, I, I brought many gifts with me because I like to bestow upon you these gifts for what you've done. And but in our day, he wanted to see your medical card, you know, that was what would happen. In that day, there was no uh, medical cards. There was no Medicaid. Thank God there was no Obamacare. And so there was none of that stuff. And Elisha said, I don't want what you got. 
I don't want a thing you've got. Here's all I want you to do. <clears throat> you have a servant working for you who's a Jew. He is a servant of God. He loves God. We've talked since he's been here. And I know he can't offer sacrifices there like we can offer here to Jehovah God. So I want to ask you if you won't give him two bullocks and that they may be offered on the altar there. And the servant said, when they are, I will make sure in my heart I am worshiping Jehovah God. So they take off back home. Elisha wouldn't take any of his gifts at all. And the preceding story was, you know, of that total conversion. You say, why is that such a big deal in the Bible? According to Luke chapter 4, verse 27, the land was full of leprosy. I mean, lepers were everywhere. And yet the Bible said that God healed, or Elisha, the great miracle worker, healed only one, and that was Damon. He wasn't even a Jew. Not even a Hebrew. Not even of a seed line. He had none of that. And yet God healed Naaman. A pagan had more faith than God's people in the land. That's why they got run over all the time. And so that's why that story is so important because Jesus brings it up in Luke chapter number 4, verse 27. He seemed to be the only one, best I can tell, he seems to be the only one who heard the witness of that little girl. You see what I'm talking about? God's doing a whole lot under the surface you can't see. And here was a testimony of a little girl that looked like it was going nowhere. But all of a sudden, that thing brought forth fruit. That little seed she sowed, her little witness, her little testimony brought forth fruit. And the little faith that she had brought forth the cleansing of Naaman, the great general. And so... You would think after a miraculous cure like that, 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 that then, and, and people seeing all the change that happened in Naaman by God, I believe he became a, a Jehovah God worshiper. I believe things changed in his mind, his life, and his heart. You'd think that Gehazi, after he had seen uh, God touch people and tenderize people and see people trembling before them and brought under submission under Almighty God, you would think that he would have some sense about this but he becomes a castaway God throws him away as a useless worthless creature one that no doubt probably was saved we're not sure we're not told but one who became useless to God it would seemed there was a day in Gehazi's life when he was a very good servant. Maybe some of you tonight, there's a day in your life when you really got it for God. You really got on fire for God. I think he was blessed. I, I, I think he was a good servant. I think he took the position that he had as the servant of Elisha in Portland. And I think he utilized that position in a, in a, in a blessed way. And, and he really could have made well. Did you know if he'd have stayed faithful to God, what would have happened to him? He would have become Elisha's Elijah. 
He would have become the servant that Elisha became for Elijah. He would have been the next man. Gehazi would have probably been the next Elisha and Elijah to come along. But he didn't stay faithful. He didn't make it well. He became a castaway. You see, the greatness of privilege, not necessarily the greatness of performance, is what God is looking for in our heart. He just wants us to feel privileged to get to serve him. I'm privileged tonight. I think that if nobody else ever gets saved at Hillcrest, I've been privileged to see what most pastors never see. I've baptized more people than most pastors I know have ever seen saved in their whole life. I've been privileged. I've been privileged to pastor one of the greatest churches that's that's in this whole area. I've been privileged to get that position. I've been privileged most of all to be called to be a pastor and God has enabled me and equipped me and gifted me to do that. I've been thinking I'm privileged tonight. I'm privileged. I don't have a show on TBN. I don't wear a toupee. And neither does Brother Steve. Because Amanda told me she trimmed his toupee this week and it's not a toupee. (laughs) Just make that clear. So folks, I just want you to know tonight, whatever you get to do for Jesus, that's special. That's special. I don't care if it's holding the door. I I don't care if it's praying for the preacher, praying for the teachers. I don't care what it is. If you get the privilege to serve God, it's a wonderful, special privilege to do that. And so, Gehazi took that very lightly. Now, we, we start to see some things about him that we wonder about. First of all, 2 Kings 4.27 lets us know that he was pretty uncompassionate. He didn't have much compassion. You remember when the son died? He, he really didn't think there was a big deal. And, and so he told her to get up and leave him alone. And then again, in, in chapter 4, verse 29 and 31, Gehazi, you remember when he went down to see the boy, he had no power. He couldn't do anything for him. He couldn't change his life. He couldn't raise him from the dead. In fact, you remember that woman, that Shumanite woman, she knew Gehazi. She had to discernment about her she didn't want him down there and she kept hanging on to Elisha said if you don't come I'm not turning you loose I don't want him all he's gonna do is lay your dead stick on him I want to put some life in him and he saw it was such a burden to her heart he said God has hid it from me and so I'm gonna go down and touch her so we see in that story that Gehazi was not what we'd like for him to be. Gehazi means denier. Denier. So in a sense, he was an Old Testament Judas. He was a denier. So the story is given to show us what can happen with those who wear the name of a servant of God but willingly disobey, they become a castaway. Do y'all understand that? You see, castaway means that you're separated 
whom God serviced by leprosy. In this case, <coughs> in your case, I apologize for that, but the air conditioning was blowing on me this morning. It was about 42 up here. And I knew I wouldn't have a voice tonight. But um, with this guy with leprosy, he couldn't get close to anybody anymore. Couldn't help anybody anymore. Couldn't touch anybody anymore. He, he, couldn't do, he couldn't go to them and care for them and meet their needs. I mean, he was absolutely separated from God's service. And he was ap- absolutely separated from having the blessing of God upon his work and in his life. It is the sin. Listen, a castaway is the sin of being set on a shelf. That's what it is. Alive, yes. Maybe even saved, yes, but useless to God. Castaway. Look over to 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I was in Kansas City in 1984. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Brother Steve may have been there as well. I always went to the evangelist conference because it was always where the best preaching was. And so it was held in a, a, a time when the convention wasn't convening, and so I'd always go, and we'd hear three or four tremendous preachers, tremendous messages. Many of those men are dead now, and so uh, I went to hear a preaching that day, and a man stood up. His name was Ron Dunn. Ron Dunn's dead now. Ron Dunn's life was riddled with all kinds of problems. But in 1984, he preached on 1 Corinthians 9, 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. And that particular place means, castaway means I would be uncrowned. I would not get blessed for what I've done. I would not get in on what God had done in my life. All I would be is a wasted tool for God. And I was going through some hard times Financially, I was going through some hard times trying to stay in evangelism and trying to feed my family on nothing and, and going in dead churches and going in churches. Uh, just, just not just a, uh, what, six or eight months ago, Brother Randy, it was a, a preacher stole my offering. Let me tell you something. You don't find integrity in a lot of churches. And so I'd sometimes get my offering stolen or half of it taken away I never knew because I never asked those kind of questions. I always figured God would take care of that and deal with that. And when he was preaching that day, I was so burdened about where I was. I looked to my buddy that was sitting next to me and I said, do you think that might be me? You think God might have set me on the shelf? Do you think maybe I can't ever be used of God and I can't win anybody to Christ and I can't grow a church? God, do you think that could be me? And he looked at me and said, it could be any of us. I'll never forget that day. I figured if Paul was concerned about it that much, we ought to be. So I want you to see four kinds of spirit that a castaway has. And see, there are some things you can just get into you just can't ever get out of. Can you keep that in your mind? There are some lines you can cross you can't get back over. 
Some walls you can build, you can't climb back over. It's kind of like the guy I heard that was found on a deserted island. He had been there for several years. Finally, they found him, and they noticed that there was three wonderfully constructed buildings because he had been a building engineer in his life. And they said, what is those three buildings for? He said, well, the first one is where I lived. The second one's where I go to church. And the third one's where I moved my membership when I got mad at the second one. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, that's the way a lot of folks see it. They just have a casual view of the church. You know that? They have a casual view of the church. They have a casual view of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are some lines you just can't cross. I worked in the grocery store for after I got my driver's license. I worked on the farms all the way up to them. When I got my driver's license, I had to drive 20 miles to town. And after I got out of school, man, I'd hit it and I'd be in town in 10 minutes. I could make that 20 miles in 10 minutes. And so my supersonic old wore out ragged car here we'd come one day my daddy had come down to the school he wasn't supposed to be there he never was at home he was always off but for some reason he'd come down there to tell me something to bring home for my mama from the store and I didn't see him and I took out of there he chased me all the way to town never could catch me couldn't even keep me in sight until we got the first four-way stop in town and I heard him blowing the horn behind me and said, get over, get over, get over. I thought he's going to kill me, beat me right here in the middle of the street. And I'm going to die like a dog. Oh, he was mad. So working in a grocery store, I found out this. People who have all the time in the world wait to close in time to come in. Ah, help me. You know what I'm talking about? Here I am bagging, here I am sacking, here I am stocking, here I am done work 12 hours that, that day. And all of a sudden, here comes some little old lady pushing her buggy in. She's got three things, two things of cat food and something else over there, probably for her dog. And she's going down through there and she looks sunny. I noticed there's lettuce here and it looks pretty good. Could you give me a half a head of lettuce? And that boy said... Mm. He, he was just fuming under his breath. So he went to the back and the, his manager said, what in, the world is, what, what, what in the world is wrong with you? He said, some old ding bad old lady come in here and wanted a half of a head of lettuce. And that lady had followed him back and he turned and looked at her. And he said, this sweet lady wants the other half. Now, you don't always get those chances, you know it? And sometimes that don't work out that way. So let's look tonight at the first thing. The spirit of rebellion will cause you to be a castaway. Gehazi decided it didn't matter what Elisha decided. He was going to do what he pleased. The spirit of rebellion was Saul's downfall. Remember that? In fact, while you got time, just write this verse down. 1 Samuel 15, 23. Where there God says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And that was Saul's downfall because he said, I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it my way. As a result, he also became a castaway. And so, there was no concern for his responsibility. 
This man had a great privilege. I mean, think he got to serve Elisha. But he didn't take that serious. Uh, if you're a teacher here tonight or you're a servant of any way, where it's teacher of children, to where it's a keeper of children, to where it's a caregiver, to where it's a teacher of adults or senior adult. I don't care what it is. According to the book of James chapter 3 verse 1, it says this. My brethren, be not many masters. In other words, be not many teachers. Don't everybody grab to be a teacher. Here's why. Hearing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. To whom much is given, much is required. If God has equipped you to be a teacher, if God has equipped you to be a servant of God, you take that serious, you understand that's a privilege, that's a grace gift from God. And so, he had no concern for his responsibility. Secondly, he had no concern for Elisha's reputation. He didn't care what people thought about Elisha after he pulled this stunt. He was putting Elisha's testimony on the line. He didn't care. He was disrespectful to Elisha. If you're disrespectful to the authority over you in church, let me tell you something. If God can get mad at anything, he gets mad at that because he said, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. So he had no concern for Elisha's reputation. Thirdly, he had no concern for God's reverence. Look, look what he says. As the Lord liveth. He had determined to do his own thing. And notice how people, when they want to do their own thing instead of God thing, because it don't line up with their thing, they'll always do it under religious words. Oh, I've prayed about it, Brother Glenn. Yeah, the Bible may have 20 verses that tells you you're doing wrong, but you've prayed about it, and God just happened to change the rules for you. Or they'll say, I just simply believe it's God's will. It's God's will. It's God. I've heard that so many times, knowing that deep in their heart, they knew it wasn't God's will. They always use those terms. So he says, the Lord liveth. In other words, he says, I'm doing this for, for God. He's a living God. That meant that he was looking at him. He was seeing him. He knew what he was doing. So listen, he recognized God, but he didn't respect God. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 2, this was Elisha's statement before. There was no loyalty to him. Before God of his determination, he was told to follow him. And at that point, he cared nothing for, he cared nothing for God's glory. At this point, he threw God's glory out the door. said, I'll do what I want to do. Spirit of rebellion. He rejected his leader's decision. Spirit of rebellion. You can find that also in Numbers chapter 12. There's a guy by the name of Aaron. He's got a sister by the name of Miriam. You remember that? And you remember that they got to fussing and fighting over who Moses uh, was going to marry. You remember that? She was dark-skinned. She was a black lady. And they got upset about that. They got mad about that. And the Bible said they got to fussing about it. They got to chewing their daddy out about it. You know what God did? God made her leprous. God made her leprous. But here's what I want to tell you it did. Listen to me. Y'all hear me? When God made her leprous, this is what the Bible said. You can find it in Numbers, okay? Was it Numbers 15, I think, but whatever it is. The Bible said when God made her leprous, in most cases, she would be totally isolated. She would just be like dead 
to them what not worth anything. But Moses pleaded for her, said, God, please, please heal her. And God said, well, even folks who do much lesser sin has some punishment. So she's going to be punished. And for seven days, you remember, God stopped the movement of the children of Israel because one person was backslidden. Have you, can you imagine how much God has stopped the movement of Hillcrest Baptist Church because some of us are backslid? And we don't respect God. We don't respect him now. We've never respected him. So I've been all about us. Well, I'm sorry I got hot at you. I do that my wife and she throws something at me. So hide the songbooks. Chris, hold on to them right there. You're close. But when you read the Bible, trying to do things your way and make decisions against God's authority will put you as the spirit of rebellion and cause you to be a castaway. Number two, there's the spirit of obsession. Look at verse 20, verse 26. He had his heart set on getting him a little farm or a big farm or having some land and having some cattle and being somebody rather than sermon. In other words, he'd rather have his own business that took priority over God's business. And so how do you know that? Because verse 26 God just lays it out there for us and tells us what he wanted the money for, right? He just tells us what he wanted it for, how he was going to use it. Look, he said, went not my heart with thee when the man turned again his chariot? Is it not time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen, men servants, maid servants? You see, he, he was going to use that money to make himself somebody. The spirit of obsession. Hmm. Number one, that's a lack of graciousness because he had sat there and watched God spare Naaman. Oh. But number two, it was a whole lot of greed involved. You know, people do a whole lot of things because they're greedy. They're greedy. They're just flat greedy. Here's what wealth ought to be to us. Add up everything that money cannot buy and death cannot take away, and that is wealth. Add it all up. Everything that money cannot buy and death cannot take away. You know what that leaves? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. And so... We see the spirit here of obsession. Now, I want you to notice not only was a lack of graciousness, a lot of greed. Look at number three. There was a spirit of deception here. There was a spirit of rebellion. There was a spirit of obsession. And now there's a spirit of deception. Verse 21, 24, he lied with his deceptive scheme. First of all, he lied on his preacher in verse number 22 because he went and told them that his preacher told him to come and that, he, that two prophets had come in and they needed some goods. Would he send them back some, you know, uh, Mark Shafter, Hart, Shafter and Marks? I can't even pronounce it because I've never won one of those suits but anyway send them back two suits and a bag of silver he said I won't even stop with that I'm going to give you two bags of silver and I'm going to send you back uh, 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 more apparel than you asked for 
And so he loads himself up. And here's the first thing he did. He lied on his preacher. His preacher didn't tell him to do that. He said, my master sent me. You better not lie on your preacher. So what are you going to do about it? I ain't going to do anything about it, but God will kill you. Better not lie on God's preacher. Secondly, he lied to his pity. He used two poor preachers to gain sympathy. (laughs) Most deceivers do it under the guise of concern for other people. You remember what Judas said? When they, got, when they got the money, you know, and, and, and the Bible said that he said, well, we, we, we could take that 30 pieces of silver and we could help the poor. But he was the poor who wanted to be helped. So there's a spirit of deception because he lied on his preacher. He lied to his pity. And thirdly, he lied for a purpose. In verse 22, no one would benefit but him. He took all of that stuff and put in his house. Nobody would benefit from it but him. Now, I want you to show you, this, show you the danger of what he did. First of all, he went and told a lie about the preacher who had given him the plan of salvation. The preacher that that man had trusted that God had given him an accurate, inerrant word. Second of all, he had made He had poor-mouthed God's men like God couldn't feed them and God couldn't take care of them. Remember, Naaman's a new convert. He just got saved. He's just had leprosy taken out of his body. He's probably going down the road shouting the glory down and singing, I'm saved, saved, saved. So he lied. For his purposes. And he used a new convert to do it. You better be careful what you say around new converts or new members to the church or believers who's just got back right with God. You could set them back more than you'll ever know. Because when you lie, you lie for your purpose. So... We know he knew the Aiken story, but do you think he cared? No, no. When you are heading toward being a castaway, you don't ever even think about what did God did to somebody else. I believe I've seen people commit the sin unto death. Boy, called me last week, preacher man. I was pastor. I led him to Christ. He got backslidden out of the will of God. I happened to be going through Pulaski one day. I see him standing out inside side service station getting something done to his car. Back in those days, they had service stations that did something to your car, you know. And, and uh, you young people, you parents explain that to them. They don't understand it. But uh, I pulled over because I saw him smoking. And I preached his ordination service, and I told him if I ever seen him smoking, I was going to come myself to him and crush it myself in his face. Well, I decided to do it a little bit different. <laughs> Not that I was scared of him, because I'd threatened him with a, a 12-inch crescent wrench to knock his brains out one day, so I wasn't afraid of him. 
And that's before he got saved and before I got saved. And when I got saved, I was nervous wreck because the first people who started getting saved under my ministry were those people I'd been the meanest to. But anyway, he was smoking, so he held it like this. And we said, hey, hey, brother. And I noticed he was trying to shake hand with his left hand. I said, I'm right hand. Shake hand with my right hand. Well, 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 well uh, you know, that hand's been hurting me some. I said, come on. I said, give me a shake, brother. I ain't seen you in a long time. I hugged his dick, put my right hand, pulled that hand down, and dropped that cigarette right down on the ground. He had a burn spot on his hand where he had held it so long right there and put it out. You see, we don't care about anybody else's purpose, just ours. Just hours. That man stood at the graveside of a friend of mine, a Korean veteran, a man whose life was messed up, his head was messed up. For some of you people who don't understand that, you better get your head on right because I know something about it. He was, I led him to Christ. He was about six foot four. Slender carried a pistol in his back pocket all the time, hung out at bars until time to go to bed, went home, went to bed, got, went to work, come back to the bar and stayed there to bedtime again. That's the way he lived his life. They called me. And he was going 100 miles an hour and he went off the road and hit a tree. He went, went, I forgot how many feet it was, unbelievable in the air. He hit a tree, crushed him and killed him. They called me and said, he loved you more than any other preacher. Would you come? So I did. I'd never done this before in my life, but I stood before that congregation and I said, this man I loved. And God must have really loved him because his house burned down. His wife had illegitimate, uh, his daughter had an illegitimate child at 14. He'd lost his driver's license. He'd lost his job. He and his wife was about to get a divorce. Everything was falling apart in his life. I said, God must have really loved him because he was pulling him back so hard. But I said, he didn't listen in time. He stepped over that line and become a castaway and committed the sin unto death. There's two ways you can commit that sin. There's the sin unto death by physically dying. And there's the sin before death where you're set on the shelf until you die. And so, last thing, he had the spirit of pretension, verse 25 through 27. The most untruthful and dishonest people often pose the most saintly appearance among the crowd. He still was pretending to be faithful. <laughs> and I said, where you been? I ain't been nowhere. That sounds just what I used to tell my mom and daddy. Where you been? Nowhere. What you been doing? Nothing. Well, where? You been gone? Well, I just hanging out. They knew exactly I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Elisha knew exactly what he'd done because the Bible said his heart went with him. God showed him everything that this old boy had done. He couldn't hide it from him. He exposed him in verse 26. 
And verse 27, here was his punishment. He became a castaway. He lost all his privilege to assume Elisha's place and God's usability. He wanted what Naaman bought. So he got it. But he lost everything in life to do it. What should be our heart? Number one, our heart ought to be the prayer of avoiding obsession. Psalm 1937 said, Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity. Ask God to keep you from being obsessed with the things that will make you become a castaway. Number two, we ought to purpose ourselves to assume discipline. Paul said, I'm going to make sure that I don't be one that fights the air. I'm going to be one who punches and hits. I will put my body down so I shall not be a castaway. Thirdly, we ought to persist to assure we have his anointing. Psalm 51.11, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And fourthly, we need to plan to acknowledge all sin because God knows about it already. 